بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم الحمد کریم اما بات الحمد للہ چنائی از دا الیونتھ آگسٹ ان دا ایئر Once again, taking a glimpse into the divine majesty and mercy. And I discussed the awesome incident in which the Holy Prophet Musa والسلام, on the blessed Mantur, he saw the burning bush. And I explained that the scholars have pointed out that even though the Quran mentions it was a fire, the commentators mention it was actually the light of the Almighty and Glorious because the tree wasn't actually burning. And also, even though the Quran says, blessed be he who is in the fire, it does not refer to the fact that Allah, the Almighty and Glorious was within the fire. It meant, like the scholars point out, it was a reflection of his tajalla, his majesty. And the proof for that is, later on in Musa Islam's ministry, He asked to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That would not have made any sense if he had already seen him in the fire. And then I mentioned the difference between seeing and perceiving. Yes, we will be seeing our loving Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala in paradise. But perceiving him, as Ibn Abbas pointed out, is impossible. Consider also Abdullah ibn Mas'ud's words, when he said, There is no day or night with your Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala. Indeed, the immense light of the entire heavens is from the light of his face. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Subhanahu. There is no day or night with your Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala. Indeed, the immense light of the entire heavens is from the light of his face. This is in Tabarani in his Kabir, number 8886, and Hafiz ibn Qayyim in his Al-Wabil Al-Sayyib, page 137 of the New English Translation. So like I mentioned yesterday, what did our beloved messenger mention, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? He said, If he, subhanahu wa ta'ala, removed his veil, then the light of his face would burn the sight of any of his creation who gazed upon it. In Sayyid Muslim, number 179. So, this is not talking about the veils, this is talking about his beautiful face, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now think about all the light in the universe. That is from the light of his face. So, even with the little bit of science we now have, we can partially understand how futile it is to ask the question, is it possible for us to look at Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala? If you combine all the light in the heavens, it is impossible for the human eye to look at this. So note again, and what's interesting, the Bible says that the Lord of the world said, let there be light. Let there be light. There was darkness upon the face of the deep. And according to this narration, the light was from simply manifesting his blessed face. So leaving aside the truly indescribable light, that emanates from his most beautiful face, subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is very important to highlight that the majestic and glorious subhanahu wa ta'ala thereupon has 70 veils. For in a famous narration, our beloved messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he asked Israfil, alayhi salatu wa sallam, 
ہیو یو سین اللہ سبحان وطار اسرافیر علیہ السلات وسلام بیگن ٹو شیک اینڈ ہی سیٹ ہی سبحان وطال ہیز سیونٹی ویلز ایف آئی گو نیئر دم آئی ول برن دس از ریکارڈڈ ان تنمدی صحیح مشکات فلس وہ کہتے ہیں So, who's Israfil? Israfil is one of the archangels. The Amir is Jibreel, alayhi salatu wasalam. Then it's Mikail, or Mikil, alayhi salatu wasalam. Then it's Israfil. Israfil is the one who blows the horn, who ushers in the day of resurrection, alayhi salatu wasalam. Rasulullah asked him, sallallahu alayhi salam, have you seen Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And look at his response. Before he even answered, he started to shake. So how much love veneration did, does Israfil have, alayhi salatu wa salam, for Rabbul Alameen? Do we shake when we think of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And then he said, He subhanahu wa ta'ala has 70 veils. If I go near them, I will burn. So what was the question? Have you seen Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? He responded, I can't even go near the veils. There's 70 veils. If I go near one of them, not if it's removed, if I go near one of them, I will burn. And in another report, it was no other than Jibreel who said, Jibreel alayhi salatu wa salam, He subhanahu wa ta'ala has 70 veils. If I go near the first, I will be burnt. This is in Abu Na'im and Nishkat, so there's no contradiction. Both angels, exactly the same response. So now what's interesting, Note that these two mighty archangels, alayhi salatu wa salam, cannot even go near the first of these divine veils, let alone this veil being removed. Subhanallah. People say, okay, what if one of those veils are removed? You're jumping the gun. Even going near the first veil will cause disintegration. What's interesting? You will burn. The angels are made from light. Despite the fact that they are made from light, they will burn if they go near the first veil. And these are not normal creations. These are the two archangels, alayhi salatu wa sallam. So let alone the petty human being. If the angels can't go into the divine presence, then human beings obviously are far lower in the scale. What do we know about these veils? These divine veils are so awe-inspiring. That in a divine tradition, no other than our exalted Lord himself said, Subhanahu wa ta'ala in Tabarani, I have kept hidden three things. If I were to expose them, no one would thereafter dare to sin. The veil, the day of judgment, paradise and hell. So this is a very important narration. What does Allah the Almighty and Glorious say? He goes, there's three things I've kept hidden. If they were exposed, you would become the greatest sins on earth. The, you would not even dare to commit a single sin. What was the first thing the Prophet said? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, the veil. If I was to show you the, one of the veils, you would go into masumiyat. You would stop sinning. What does that tell you about the veil? Why would I stop sinning? Because you'd be blown away by the veil. The second is if you could observe the day of judgment, which we can't. 
We've got the details in the Quran and Sunnah, but hearing is not like seeing. If you saw it, you would not dare sin thereafter. And the third, of course, paradise and hell, which is famously known. So now registering all of the above, how ludicrous and also arrogant is man for daring to ask the sadly only two common question in today's day and age. Why does God just not show himself? Why is he playing games? For where then would be the test? And what would be the point of our creation? And this is leaving aside the fact it is simply not possible for us to gaze at his magnificent self in this lonely worldly life. But think about yeah, these questions they ask. You know, why is God hiding? Why is he playing hide? You know, this is how they talk. You know, there's no veneration. Why is he playing hide and seek? Is he a child? They start using words like this. And the response to it is, without getting angry with them, you can respond. You say, look, I can give you a very rational answer to that. And the response is, he's kept things hidden. You're talking about his mighty self. If he exposed three of the creations, you would not sin. Because what are those three creations? He goes, his veil, the day of judgment, paradise and hell. The Prophet told us that, Allah Ta'ala told us that. You're jumping to the Creator. So where is the test? And this is leaving aside that how arrogant on your part. How can you observe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And then he doesn't understand what you're talking about. You've got to explain it. He said, look, you can't look at him. He's too magnificent for your eyes to look at in this worldly life. Another thing about the veils. The light which emanates from these blessed veils are truly beyond comprehension. How do we know? In Ibn Abi Hatim, Ibn Kathir, in their respective tafsils, Iqrima, rahmatullah he said, Sunlight is 170th the light of the Qudsi. The Qudsi is 170th the light of the Arsh. And the Arsh is 170th the light of the veil. So let's look at this. Now what do we learn? The veils are made of light. Now, going on a tangent, if you look at these reports, what is Islam telling us? Islam is telling us light can burn other light. This is well before they discovered lasers. Light can burn. The traditions clearly told us this. But let's break it down. What did Ikrimah say? If you take this narration literally, if you take it literally, then the light from just one of the divine veils, just one, would be 343,000 times more powerful than the light of the sun. Can we look at the sun? You go blind. They, they tell you that. Because don't be foolish. Put some special glasses on. And even then, because don't look too long. That's If you multiply that 343,000 times, would you dare even look that way? That's if you take this hadith literally. So now, this begs the question. How much more powerful would be the light which emanates directly from his most beautiful face? We're talking about the veils. <coughs> question. There's 70 veils. Maybe the first veil 
has this amount of light. Maybe the second veil increases in intensity. Maybe the third increases it. We don't know. We can only relay what's been mentioned. So, what is the awesome light that comes directly from his beautiful face? Beyond comprehension. The fact that there are no less than 70 of these awesome veils which cover it should really speak volumes for all those who care to reflect. And like I mentioned, note also that science has now discovered if you focus light, it eventually has the ability to burn. I laser technology. Well, this was clearly mentioned over 1,400 years ago in the Sunnah. Subhanallah. So to reiterate, once more the believers will see their Lord in the hereafter. But perceiving Him is simply impossible. So this is our belief. If a person point blank asks you, can we see our Lord in the world? You say, no. Can we see Him in the hereafter? Yes, we will, inshallah. On the Day of Judgment, one report mentions, and of course in the Paradise. What does that mean? You explain, seeing means you'll be able to glance at His beauty. You will not be able to perceive Him. I register His total majesty. How great a blessing is that? The greatest blessing in Paradise. When people say, what's the most beautiful thing in Paradise? It's actually not part of Paradise. It's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the fact that he, you know, his majesty enters paradise is something mind-boggling. And also, what else do we learn? As if, you know, a very strange statement. People ask, is Allah Ta'ala beautiful? <laughs> so, the people don't think about these names. You know, you think of Allah, you think of his might, his majesty. He's the most beautiful. Nobody can compare to his beauty. But the strangeness about that statement, we don't know what he looks like. He's the most beautiful and we have no idea. No matter what a human mind a jinn has thought of, he's not like that. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. But when we see him, we will notice that this is the most beautiful of all, either creator. Another question people ask, why does Allah the Almighty have veils? So if you use and you can't use but help but use, you know, poor examples. Why are veils used in the world? So one reason is to cover beauty. So that makes sense. Allah has got 70 veils. Imagine you go to your wife, wear 70 veils. Why am I wearing 70 veils? This is his beauty. His beauty is so awesome. 70 veils are required. Another reason why these veils? To protect you. Without those veils, you will disintegrate. His beauty is so awesome. No creation can withstand it. So Allah has placed veils in place. Not even the angels. Imagine, if anybody could, it would be the angels. Even they would disintegrate. So again, notice, people go directly towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And what a huge mistake that is. You go direct, you will slip into error because you don't appreciate His greatness. In continuation, we are now living in the end times. There's no doubt about that. And there's a very interesting report. Our beloved messenger, he warns the Lord, during the last era, deception will rule over the hearts of the last of this Ummah. This is in Abu Dawood, number 4341, Tirmidhi, number 3964, Ibn Majah, number 4014, 
Mishkat number 5144. So let's mention the hadith again. So what did the Prophet say? During Akhirul Zaman, during the last era, deception will rule over the hearts. Deception of the last of this Ummah. What is this deception? This deception was clarified by our beloved messenger on another occasion when he said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, all their affairs will be cupidity without any fear. In addition, if any of them does good, he says, it is accepted from me. And when he commits evil, he says, it is forgiven me. <laughs> this is in De Lami and Imam Ghazali's Ihya. Hasn't that happened? The hearts, the Prophet said, will be ruled with deception. You're deceiving yourself. So what's this? Now think about it. How can you deceive yourself? Does that make any sense? You can deceive others. You're actually deceiving yourself. What did the Prophet say? When you do good deeds, you think it's accepted. Go back. Did the Sahaba think, when they did a good deed, it's accepted? They made very strange statements. What did they say? If we know that one of our deeds is accepted, this will be more beloved to us than so and so. They were in deception. They knew that these deeds really, they can barely be presented in the divine court. End of time, your heart is now ruled by deception. It's accepted. How important therefore is the dua? Rabbana taqabbal minna innaka anta sameeun ali. Oh, our Lord, accept our deeds. Truly, you are the hair of the Noah. That dua is so important, especially in today's day and age. And what's the second sign of deception the Prophet said? You sin, you go, it's forgiven. I know it's forgiven. So we don't need to look very far. You know, that's the state of most of us. We do poultry deeds, it's going to be accepted. We commit sins, it's going to be forgiven. You're living in deception, the Prophet said. You're all your affairs will be cupidity without any fear. Thus, how on earth can any person without divine revelation make this statement? All of my good deeds have been accepted by my Lord and he has also graciously forgiven all my sins. What if God forbid the opposite is true? None of your good deeds have been accepted and neither have any of your sins been forgiven. Is that not also a possibility? Imagine, you go to a person, brother, uh, is this a possibility? Inshallah, it won't be, inshallah. But is there a possibility that none of your good deeds have been accepted and none of your sins have been forgiven? And after he starts mourning and groaning, what does he eventually say? Yes, it is a possibility. Very good. How highly is that likely? That's when you can determine your iman. If you think this is very highly likely, your Iman is strong. If you think it's very unlikely, your Iman is weak. You're living in deception, the Prophet said. Subhanallah, where does this arrogance stem from? Imam Ghazali explained. In his Ihya. So Imam Ghazali said, The like of this is mentioned by the Christians. What did they say? In Surah Al-A'raf, Surah 7, verse 169. Allah, the Almighty and Glorious, He says, O the Billahi Minish Shaitan Rajeem, فَخَلَفَ مِن بَعْدِهِمْ خَلْفٌ وَرِثُ الْكِتَابَ 
after them. I, the misguided Bani Israel, succeeded an evil generation who inherited the book. They chose the lowly things of this world all the while saying, everything will be forgiven us. Let's look at this. What did Imam Ghazali say? He goes, we have gone down the lizard's hole. What lizard's hole? What does Allah mention about the Christians? He explicitly says, a generation inherited the book after. So who's after the, the Jews? After the Bani Israel? The, the Christians inherited the book. What does Allah say about them? Something very interesting. They chose the lowly things of this world. All the while saying, Sayughfarulana. We will be forgiven. That sounds like us. We've clung to dunya like dogs. And then you go, brother, what do you think? Yeah, guaranteed forgiveness. What's the difference between you and the Christians? How many of us have followed them? Hafiz ibn Qudama. Look at this beautiful statement to finish. In the Reliance of the Traveller, page 779 of the English translation, Hafiz ibn Qudama said, Rahmatullah, it is odd that the Salaf, radiyallahu ta'ala anhu, both worked and feared, whilst nowadays, and he's referring to the 13th century, whilst nowadays, though falling short, people feel secure and tranquil, as though, God forbid, they know more about the generosity of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than the prophets and the righteous. If it could be had by merely wishing, why did the Salaf fatigue themselves and weep so very much? Does Allah the Almighty not condemn the Jews and Christians for anything besides being this way? And he recited the same verse. Surah 7 verse 169. <laughs> They chose the lowly all the while saying we will be forgiven. So let's look at this. Hafiz ibn Qudama came 700 years ago. He's rebuking his people. What would the honorable Imam have just said now in today's day and age? Now think about it. Let's pick a Sahaba. So let's pick the greatest Abu Bakr. How many good deeds did you do? Somebody goes, a stupid question. Because why? Because the Prophet said that all the gates of paradise will be calling him. He means he's a perfect man. Fasting, salat, jihad, zikr, they're all calling him. Very good. How much did he weep? He wept, you know, every other time he was weeping. Why was he Going through all the effort. That's the question to ask. And the response is this. Do we think we know, we know more about the generosity of Allah than Abu Bakr? Either he knew, we don't know, or we know, or he doesn't know. Which one is it? That proves that we have been misguided. Our you know, 
the turning, the dial is not correct. And we followed who? Like the Prophet said, you will follow them inch by inch, yard by yard, the Jews and the Christians. And they said those same words, imagine, they clung to the world, isn't that bad enough? Like Kote, <laughs> clinging to dunya. That's bad. And then they, they, then they have the audacity to say, we're going to get forgiven. Where's the good deeds? Where's the weeping? You're clinging to dunya, you're saying you're going to get forgiven. Subhanallah, that was 700 years ago, Ibn Qudama said it. Nah, oh my God. People are walking out, they're one of the 10 promised paradise. Right? You know, we've been promised nothing. Like one scholar jokingly said, we've not even been guaranteed one of our deeds being accepted, let alone being guaranteed paradise. <coughs> so where's this arrogance coming from? Deception of the hearts, living in the end times. Meaning our connection with Allah Ta'ala is very weak. We're not discussing these important subjects. This doesn't mean that we fall into despair. What it means is you have to live like the righteous. They are our role models for excellence. And this is why there's a report. To finish, the hadith is in Tirmidhi number 2577, Ibn Imajah number 4260, Ahmed in his Musnad 4-124, Tabarani in his Kabir number 7141, Tabarani in his Sahir 2-36, Hakim in his Mustadrak 1-57, Al-Qudai in his Musnad Al-Shihab number 185, Mishkat al Udis. In the chain is Abu Bakr ibn Abi Maryam, he has been commented upon. So this hadith is recorded in the Sunnahs. There's a person in the chain called Abu Bakr ibn Abi Maryam. Some scholars say he's alright, some say there's a weakness. So there's a slight weakness here. However, other reports confirm it. What's the hadith? Sayyidina Shaddad ibn Aus, he relates that our beloved messenger said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the astute, the intelligent, the clever, the astute one is the one who takes himself to account and does deeds for after death. The incapable one, the ajiz, the, you know, the one who's like, not all that. The incapable one is the one who allows his nafs to follow its desires and then seeks from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the fulfillment of his own hopes. Let's break it down. Who was Rasulullah describing? Two people. He was first describing the intelligent one. We want to be amongst them. What is the sign? You are obsessed with preparing for death. That's what he said. He goes, that's the astute one. He's working out. What do I need? I need the provisions. What? What? You know, he's always. This is his life, his object in life. The ajiz. Now, what's interesting? That word is used in a lot of languages. In Pushto, it actually means like the poor one. You know, you feel pity for it, or it means the one who's like, is a bit slow in the brain, or it means the one who doesn't know how to look after himself. You know, this is the connotation, and that's exactly what the prophet meant. The ajiz is the one who lets his nafs do whatever he wants. Eat what he wants, do what he wants, sin when he wants, I'll do whatever I want. But it doesn't, the second sign. And it still wants what Allah wants. Because I still want to be forgiven. I want my du'as to get answered. I want Allah to love me. He goes, the Prophet goes, he's the, he's the ajiz. Which one do most Muslims fall under? 
The Sahaba, all of them, 110% first category. I'd say now, high 90% second category. And there's the strangeness. You just have to study your deen to realize where you are with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So all I mentioned today was basically clarifying upon the divine veils, the reality of them, and how does that link with the greatness of our loving Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then I mentioned the deception in the last era over the hearts. And how many of us have fallen into this? Astaghfirullah. And Lord, it's all we're going back to our connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To venerate Him as He deserves to be venerated subhanahu wa ta'ala. Are there any questions you like to ask?